refusing to wear bikinis? I know. Are you kidding? Me? Yeah. That's nuts. Hey, you got to check the boogers. You know why? Because we're live fish. I want to talk about bikinis. I know. Hey. Can you believe that? We got to put that in there. All right. Hey, fish. We are talking sports, mezcal cocktails. His time as a murder suspect. Oh, and by the way, he is probably the greatest actor of the 21st century. Actor and director Brian Cranston joins us. Got a question for him? Drop it in the chat box. Plus, our schmuck of the week is into cardboard beds. And who's got the swag is a rookie quarterback who just won over the Windy City. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Daily Fish. John Daly here, along with Eric Snyder, a.k.a. Fish. We are coast to coast, coming to you from Las Vegas and Myrtle Beach. We talk sports, entertainment, and everything in between. Fish, excited show tonight, huh? That's the word, excited. I really am. Let's roll. All right, time for the Daily Grind. Some breaking baseball news. The A's have not left Oakland yet. The Oakland City Council today voted to continue negotiating with the A's about financing a new $12 billion ballpark complex. So more negotiations are coming. It still could fall apart with the A's moving. Reports say the A's execs have been flying to Vegas to look at property. Fish, you're on the ground in Vegas. What are you hearing? Well, the A's executives were at every Golden Knights playoff game, uh, courtesy of owner Bill Foley of the Golden Knights. So that was the one uh, uh, red flag that to Oakland. Hey, you know what? There, there's, there's a suitor out there. How embarrassing is it for the city of Oakland, John? They lost the Warriors three years ago to San Francisco. They lost the, 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 the Raiders two years ago. They, they might be the only city that loses all three major sports teams to other cities. And then Libby Schaaf, who's a, 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 the mayor, is a great woman, but she's not a great business person. I think it's blasphemy if you could lose three sports teams to one major city. I know, I know one team that's really happy is the San Francisco Giants. They could be the only team there in the Bay Area. Sure. All right. Uh, NFL teams just split almost $10 billion in revenue. That's $309 million per team. They were down $5 billion last year from the COVID. But don't worry, a new 11-year TV contract for $110 billion with a B will make up the loss. And more good news for the owners. They dropped the salary cap for players over the next two years. Why do I mention this? Well, Fish, with all this easy money, do teams really care if they win? Well, I, I think that the teams care. It's the owners. Some owners act love the business side of it. And some owners, like Jerry Jones, you can say what you want about the guy. He's a billionaire, but he really cares a lot about winning. They all want to win. But when you split $9 billion in a COVID year and each team gets $300 million, I'm not really good at math, but imagine when that $10 billion catch, uh, catches on in 2023 and you got Amazon, you got Apple TV now getting involved, Hulu's now involved with the NFL Red Zone channel, John, starting August 1st, right on the block, and, and the NFL Network. So now streaming is becoming very, very popular uh, with the NFL. So what's going to happen in two, three years from now when $10 billion comes in, they're going to be splitting $600 million. $600 million. Yeah. 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 Yeah, big stuff. All right, some college football news. The SEC commissioner says teams that can't play due to COVID will forfeit the games and take losses. My reaction to this is, wow, this is a conference in the South with fewer vaccines than the rest of the country. Fish, what are you, what are you seeing? I think it's great. If, if, and, of course, yeah, they're lagging in vaccines down there, and it's really slowing the country down. And you know how popular football is in the South, especially that conference. That's them basically saying – if, if you have to, if you can't put a, a team on the field because you have unvaccinated players that are coming down with COVID, you have to forfeit. And maybe that forces more people to get the vaccine, hopefully. Okay, we'll be watching that as the season rolls on. Uh, NBA Game 5 Finals is tonight. Ratings for the first three games of the playoffs, they were up 33% over last year. Now, that's good, but that's down 34% from the 2019 finals between the Toronto Raptors and the Warriors. What's worse? Toronto isn't even a Nielsen rating city. So, Fish, the NBA is a long way to come back, don't you think? Well, I'm still shocked when, when COVID was really rampant and people were stuck in their houses that the Lakers of Miami didn't get a higher rating because they're two major cities, two major markets, and the Lakers are the marquee team in the league. I'm glad to see this year the Milwaukee and Phoenix, two smaller markets. Phoenix is a decent market. But what is – I mean, I think Milwaukee is going to win this series even though I picked Phoenix. I love Giannis. But what does Milwaukee have to offer? Well, the Vernon Shirley, that's about it. Happy days? I can't think of any marquee things that ever happened out of Milwaukee. It's great for the league. It's, it, it's fantastic that you have two other teams making it. But you're right. There's a lot of work to do. Okay. There's a lot of beer in Milwaukee, too. 
So, um, all right, let's talk uh, stadium safety. Over the past week, a Yankee fan threw a baseball and hit Red Sox outfielder Alex Verdugo in the back during a game. A shooting incident occurred outside the stadium at a Nationals game. An arsenal of weapons was confiscated at a hotel overlooking the All-Star game. So, Fish, are stadiums not safe now? No, they're not safe now. Outside stadiums aren't safe now. and It's a really scary situation we're going into. When you, If you're a family person, you want to take your kid to a game, I, I, I think you're thinking different. I mean, that TV looks really attractive to you right now. I'm going to bring up a video of a guy. It's a short little video. This is in his 70s. This is a linebacker named Mike Curtis of the Baltimore Colts. This should happen to every schmuck that goes on a field or tries something with a player. Let's see if this thing rolls in a minute. Well, look at this idiot. Watch, watch real carefully. Bam! Isn't that great? Yeah, that's my. You know, you know that 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 shithead. Excuse my language. He sued Curtis and the Colts, and he lost. I mean, he yeah. was I guarantee it. If, if Cranston had his mezcal out back then, that guy drank two bottles. You say, I mean, come on, you got to stop. You got to stop with the fans thinking that they're the. What do you always say, John? They're the they're the they're the um, hero of their own world or something like yep. that. Yep. Leave these athletes alone. Let them be entertainers to you. All right. Good call. I remember that well. I remember when Mike Curtis did that. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Colin Morikawa, he is soaring. He won the British Open on his first try. He also won the PGA last year on his first try. At 24, we ask this. Is he the next Tiger? What do you think, Fish? Still kind of young. I mean, Tiger comes into the Mike Douglas show when he's two years old with his dad with the, with the putter. <laughs> I mean, it's just the, the, the guy. You know, the guy was a media icon when he's five years old. I hope so. I, I hope that we, we bring different demographics and different genders into, into the sport. I love golf like you do. And, and what Tiger's done to that sport, and we'll talk about it a little bit in something fishy, has been brilliant. I love the fact that I, I always get names wrong. Matsuyama, is that his name that won, won the Masters? Matsuyama from Japan, yeah, who won the Masters, right. yeah. Right. And then Louis Oosthuizen, the guy I picked to win the, the Open yeah. last week. Almost. So we, we got a lot of guys that are in foreign <laughs> countries that are winning this thing. I did good with Oosthuizen, didn't I? Yeah, you did good with him. Yeah, yeah. He's a good safe bet in a major, that's for sure. Now, I think Morikawa, I think he's going to be the 21st century Gary player. Not a long ball hitter, but disciplined and focused. He is special, though. It's unheard of to win majors the first time you play in them. I think he's going to be around a long time, so be watching him. And finally, on the grind here, I hate playing golf behind slow people. So roll that video, Fish. This is the solo golf cart. This is John running away from every Alta Cocker that's 80 years old that thinks he's the actor Pierce Brosnan. Look at this. And that is video of me on the solo golf cart. I actually rode one. It's very cool. You could actually play 18 holes in two hours on this thing. It might actually save golf from going extinct due to the ADD of millennials. What do you think about that, Fish? I love it. I love it. You look, you look, man, you look great on that thing. What does that go, about 12, 12 miles an hour? It, it doesn't go real, real fast, but it's, it's, it's fast enough so that, you, you know, you can get to your ball quickly and really – play a quick pace, but it's not going to tip over and you just release the thing and it stops. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a really cool, cool device. So I, I tell people to look into it. We, I, I'm going to have more stories on that coming up too. All right. That is the daily grind. Yeah. Well, well, one, one quick question, John. One quick okay. question on that. Does it have a drink holder? Yes, it does. It's all I care oh, about. Yeah. <laughs> you got to play golf. You got to have drinks with you, right? <laughs> I didn't see one. So. All right. That is the Daily Grind. Questions or comments during the show, use the chat box here or email us at dailyfish1 at gmail.com. Post to Facebook at daily.fish.5. Better yet, record yourself short, tight, and horizontal on a smartphone and send it to dailyfish1 at gmail.com. All right. It's time for some binge watching fish. What are you watching? Well, I'm watching something on Apple TV that this podcast will soon be on. It's called Ted Lasso. It's with Jason Sudeikis. Uh, I, my wife and I watched this whole thing in one day, 10 episodes. He plays a Division II college football coach with the Wichita Shockers that wins a Division II championship. And he, and he takes a job over in the English Premier League to coach an English soccer team with no experience whatsoever. And it's basically the owner that wants to get back at her husband and wants to use him to sabotage the team. Well, he endears himself to the culture and to the team. 
And that's all I'll say about it. But it's it's wonderful. The acting's wonderful, and uh, it, it it's very touching in some moments. And hey, season two comes on July twenty third. So you got a few days of binge watch the whole thing. There you go. It is hysterical. Uh, now I'm going to go with something very similar. It's called Your Honor. Okay, not really. It's not that similar. This is in honor of our guest, Brian Cranston, tonight. He plays a New Orleans judge whose son is involved in a hit and run that brings in an organized crime family. So, no, not a lot of laughs, but great drama and, again, really good acting. All right. More drama with something's fishy. What are we looking at as far as polarized athletes and their fans, Fish? Well, you know, I curse a lot, and I try to keep my, my tone down in this, in this segment. Do? But Well... I have anger. I have anger management issues. So you get, you gave me this segment to vent, and I don't like the word polarization. I don't even know what it means. I know what it means, but I don't like when people say Tiger Woods, Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow are polarizing. I don't believe it. I think it's sports as a business. So when Tiger Woods makes the cut in any tournament, the ratings are up sixty-two percent. That's business. If Johnny Manziel plays in a spring league. And look, he was a bust in the NFL, and he had a lot of problems off the field. People are watching these spring leagues. Business. Tim Tebow is trying out after, what, 10 years as a tight end? And by the way, he's having a great training camp with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's selling the most jerseys in the National Freaking Football League right now. So when fans of our show say, Fish, is he going to make the team? Hell yeah, he's going to make the team because he sells jerseys. They're not polarizing people. They're people you want to watch. Real quick, John, when you and I were younger, when Cranston was younger, there was a periodical called the National Enquirer. That was the most popular magazine out there. You got them. You got them when you went to supermarket, right? And always says, you know, Sinatra banged an alien. You got it and looked in the middle. Wow. Okay. We're, we we've been in tune with this kind of culture, uh, of pop culture for years. So Absolutely. don't call people polarizing. Call them entertaining, and call them people that provide revenue for their businesses. I'm out. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's better reality TV than the reality TV we have. All right. Time to move on here. Time for Ginger to snap us out of our thinking. Charlotte, a.k.a. Ginger Snaps, is here for her weekly tutorial. So, Ginger Snaps, you're heading to Europe to find new gems for Daily Fish. What's your plan? I am. My plan is to spend the entire time shooting. I'm just going to really dig through the culture and travel to all these countries thinking, what would daily fish love to see? <laughs> now, actually, I'm going to visit um, a lot of my friends who, who I've made who live all around in Belgium and France and, you know, a multitude of countries. And I'm actually going to spend some time in Cyprus with one of my best friends who I haven't seen since before COVID. So I'm very excited. Hopefully, I will change my skin color just ever so slightly so I'm not translucent. But we'll see. <laughs> So what, what what do you think you're going to bring back for us? I mean, you got some you got some ideas on uh, the strange stuff going on over there? Definitely. I mean, for sure, going to talk about travel etiquette. You might see some clips from me in the airport, depending. It's going to be a little difficult, you know. We're going to have to mask up and be safe and everything. And I'm very lucky to be able to travel right now. It's kind of it's in my veins. I'm like, I got to go somewhere. I got to see something. But definitely also thinking about, about travel faux pas or, like, travel mishaps. I... I like to pretend that I'm very worldly and very traveled, but I'm only 22 and I've only traveled out of the country a couple of times. I do have a pretty decent track record, but you know, everyone makes mistakes. One of my most memorable mistakes was the time that I traveled around um, Ireland by myself for two weeks with no plans, just a return ticket. And it was fantastic. Um, I spent a couple of days in Northern Ireland, which, I knew that there were, you know, some some separation and all these kind of like political things. But what I didn't know was that uh, they use an entirely different currency than the rest of Ireland. And it was OK. You pay with your phone. Everything's a credit card now. But one of the nights that I was there, I met some really incredible, fun um, people my age who actually were Italian immigrants living in Ireland. And the one girl invited me dancing with them. And I was like, you know what? Say la vie. I'll go dancing with these strangers in this club. It was a great night. I go to leave at like, I don't know, 4 a.m. There's a line of cabs. I approach them all of them driven by like 70 year old men who look like they are so tired. And I give them the address of where I'm staying and down the line, no, no, no. And at this point I'm like, okay, I had walked like 40 minutes across town with these people, didn't know where I was. Finally, this one cab, a younger person, he's like, yeah, fine, it'll be my last thing of the night. 
And I get in and I don't know if I asked or he offered, but turns out they don't take credit cards. He needed to have cash and I didn't have any pounds. So he spent 25 minutes driving around in the middle of the night going to random ATMs, none of which accepted my card, one of which I nearly got attacked by a drunk homeless person sprawled out in front of the ATM. I was like, I need my money. So it was a whole mess. I didn't end up getting any pounds. I was crying in the cab. This poor guy was like, it's fine. It's fine. I'll take you home. I gave him like a 300% tip in euros because I felt so bad. But moral of the story is um, always check the currency where you're going before you get there. Could have been a lot worse, but I think I cried enough and was cute enough that they were like, it took some pity on me, (laughs) luckily. Actually, it's one of the things we learned in Hong Kong was that you check with the drivers because some drivers will say, I'm not going in that direction. Yeah. And they won't do it. And so I, I think it's the same in a lot of other places. So the taxis aren't like they are here in the U.S. or, you know, with Uber. OK, we'll go wherever you say you're going to send us. So yeah. well, that's, I'm glad you're safe. That's good. A lot of places you can't even hail a taxi off the street. We got in trouble one time in Paris. My mom and I, you, you're not allowed. You have to be at the specific places and line up and, you know, everything. So. I can't, but I love that. I love the more harmless cultural experiences when you kind of realize you're very much out of your comfort zone and in your head, you're kind of like, oh my God, one time, oh, this was the scariest thing that's ever happened when I was traveling. It, almost scary. I'll say it wasn't really that bad, but my best friend and I were traveling um, in Spain during our spring break and we had a train to go from Madrid to Barcelona. And we got there and we thought we were early enough and it was fine. We walk into this massive train station, completely lost, completely lost. Neither of us spoke a word of Spanish. I speak French, but that wasn't helpful. And so we were like, okay, I think we have 45 minutes. Like we're good. And we tried to be self-sufficient. We were like, we can figure it out ourselves. We got onto our train with literally six seconds left. We had to go to this information office and beg these people and they had to get someone else. No one could understand us. They were laughing at us. We were sprinting through the train station. That's so stressful, but you know, well, what's what's a trip without a little a little travel anxiety, a little adrenaline running through your veins in a in a transport hub. <laughs> so make sure to- You're, uh, you're, real quick. Uh, you're going to Cyprus. And Cyprus has an abundance of new beaches. Okay, you, you you have you have to show a decorum of of you know I'm you know I'm talking about young lady. Okay, to be fair, uh, I, didn't I know, know your family. I know your family. I don't want to get killed. I don't want to get whacked. Okay, I didn't actually know that there were abundance of nude beaches there. So why do you know that, fish? <laughs> no, but it why actually, do I know that? Because I'm an idiot. That's why I know that. What do you no, think? We, it, what do you think guys are? What do you think guys our age think about when we go to places like that? In our city, you know, new right? beaches. I where, where the early bird specials are and where the new beaches are. That's it. You know, I can't. One time I took a trip with a friend to Hawaii when I was in high school, and we were like, "Ooh, let's find a nude beach." Like we're so cool. We're eighteen, um, and it was just a bunch of people again, like their eighties and seventies. More power to them. I mean, if if you like your body, I love it. I did not want to see it. <laughs> Yeah, nude beaches are the places where people that shouldn't be taking their clothes off go. Yeah, I mean, you know, no body shaming. We don't do body shaming here, but I will avert my eyes. (laughs) Not directly. All righty. All right. We call her Ginger Snaps. You can write to us if you have something for us that she should school us on. Write to dailyfish1 at gmail.com. All right, Charlotte, be safe on your trip. Looking forward to seeing what you bring back. All right. Oh, you cut her off before we even got a chance to. All right. Still ahead. No, I'm, we have... oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, wait, I'll bring her back. It's okay. 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 Have, a, have a great trip, but we don't see you anymore. <laughs> Thank you. Let me you know what you guys want to see, what kind of travel craziness. We All will right, take sweetheart. get some Thank good you. videos. See you later. Thank you. Be safe. All right. Still ahead, we have Walter White and not meth, but some mezcal. Thanks for tuning again. We are Daily Fish. We are live on Facebook Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We air on DBNA television on Roku, Amazon Fire, and soon Apple TV. We stream 24-7 on the DBNA television website at dbandatelevision.com. Follow us and like us on Facebook at daily.fish.5 and also subscribe on YouTube. Okay, it's time for our Schmuck of the Week. Who's been schmucky this week, Fish? This is the greatest one ever. Uh, <laughs> I always say that every week is the greatest one ever. What does this look like to you? It looks like a bed. You see that? That's a bed, right? This is what the athletes 
in Tokyo are going to sleep on? A bed, right? It's made out of cardboard. It's bad enough that they have all the protocols going on, but it's made out of cardboard. And also the tradition of handing out condoms, which got a 2021 asterisk because the Tokyo Olympics Committee told the Japanese outlet the condoms aren't supposed to be used. They're done. So now the athletes can't bang each other. They got to sleep on this, John. This, what are you doing? What are you laughing at? This turns into this. This is what their bed looks like at the end of the Olympics. The IOC and the Tokyo Olympic Committee, they're the schmucks of the week. I'm sorry. That, so they, they can't sleep with each other. They can't frolic, and they have to sleep on an uncomfortable bed. I'm not buying it. I, that, that's, a, that's a good schmuck of the week. Now, add to that, some top Japanese officials connected to the country's Olympic Committee say there's actually a chance the Olympics could be canceled if there are too many COVID cases. But our source in Japan, John Williams, who was on last week, says the IOC is actually in full control. They will make sure the games go off because the IOC gets paid for television revenues, not ticket sales. So many sure. Japanese would agree with us that they are the schmuck of the week. So there you go. All right. And many will agree with this week's Who's Got the Swag. Uh, we're toasting a good one. Who are we toasting this week? This is a great. This is the rookie quarterback of the Chicago Bears, Justin Fields. That's Scott Morrow right there. Unfortunately, the kid got shot last week in a random shooting. And when he's in the ambulance, he says to the attendant, before I die, I want to see Justin Fields throw a ball for the Chicago Bears. Well, Fields got a hold of that and visited him in the hospital every day. He got released. But he's got some problems. He's got, uh, um, you know, he's got a kidney removed. He had a spleen removed. He's got problems with the stomach, his pancreas, his abdomen. But there's a nice text conversation going on between the two. It just goes to show you that he's just a stand-up guy, Justin Fields. I, I love this story. And, and you know what? More kudos to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great story. And uh, we toast Justin Fields uh, now with our drink of the week. Oh, no, wait, wait a minute, Fish. This, this is silly to have our drink of the week without the person who made the drink happen. So before we do that, Drink of the Week is sponsored by Shuck's Tavern. In Vegas, great seafood and drinks in two locations. Head to Shuck's Tavern on North Durango on the northwest side of town where fish is overnight. Say Daily Fish Podcast, you get a free drink. Do it the next day, you get a free appetizer. That's Shuck's Tavern. Check out Shuck's Tavern on Facebook. Okay, let's toast Justin Fields, our Who's Got the Swag, along with tonight's guest, he is actor, director, who has won Emmys, Tony, SAG Awards, Golden Globes, and even the Sir Lawrence Olivier Award, plus Oscar nominations. You know him as Walter White from Breaking Bad, but he was also a real-life murder suspect at one time. We're going to talk about that. And he also has our drink of the week. Let's bring in Brian Cranston. Brian, welcome to hey, Daily Fish. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, Fish? Good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. Thank you. So... so this is uh, this is the drink of the week, and we we made it to this is with the Crestonia. Is that what it called? The Cranstonia. I've, Crans I've been drinking this Crestel a lot. So. That's good. The Cranstonian made with the Dos Ombres. Yeah, you got to have the Dos Ombres. Um, yeah, we we started the Aaron Paul and I started this mezcal company two years ago, and it's just blowing up. We are now out of 153 mezcal brands in North America. We're now number six. Wow. Yeah. That was great. Well, let's let's toast Justin Fields and you, yeah, Brian. Good well. you, Justin Fields. Here's to you. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I was waiting. I was gonna make my cocktail with you guys, but you know what? You jumped you jumped me. So oh. you go oh, ahead yeah. and talk while I make my own cocktail. Well, go for it. Well, explain what you're doing because it's it's mezcal, cranberry, apparel, yeah. and lime juice, right? So Aaron gives me trouble because I came up with this cocktail with cranberry juice and called it the Cranstonian. And he says, you're just naming it after yourself. And I said, cranberry juice, come on, give me a break. But it's an ounce of uh, Dos Hombres Mezcal, an ounce of cranberry juice, a half ounce of Aperol, and then a half ounce of fresh lime juice. Put it in a shaker as I'm doing. Uh, is this televised, by the way? They could see us? Yes, of course I can. Oh, well, I didn't know it, and, you know, it's yeah. a podcast. Why, are you sitting on Are you sitting on the can now at the moment? Yeah. <laughs> Shake it up, um, and then you pop that sucker, put it over. Um, I like uh, some tagine and uh, salt on there, a little hot sauce, nice. hot, hot nice. pepper stuff. 
right? And then, um, so then you strain it over a big cube like so, and there you have your Cranstonian for one. Uh, okay, we, we've got to cheers again because it's bad luck if you cheers and you don't drink. That's exactly right. And look at look people right in the eye when you're doing it. Absolutely. Cheers, you guys. Best cheers, to you and all your listeners. Thank you. We appreciate that. Oh, my God. I got to tell you, so that fun. is, for a smoky drink, that is a great summer drink. It's and really got a lightness to it, and you still get the smoke coming out of that. And it's not too sweet. I mean, obviously, if you if you like it sweeter, you can add a little agave syrup or maybe a little more cranberry or something. But uh, I like it this way. It has a little bit of tanginess, and it quenches the thirst. Yeah. That's great. Wow. So how did you guys decide to come up with doing a mezcal? Because I never knew you to be a mezcal drinker. You know, I wasn't. When I was in high school and college, I used to play poker with my buddies. And we were all poor. So we would pull, pull our money together and we'd buy like a 12-pack of beer and whatever was the cheapest booze. And quite often it was mezcal because I think at the time it was like five bucks for a big bottle. And it had a, a dead worm at the bottom of the bottle. I don't know if you remember that. But sure, sure. Um, it, you smell that and it smelled like cleaning fluid. And it and it tasted it tasted the same. So I never drank it. Nobody wanted to drink it. And we used it basically as punishment. If someone told a bad joke or spilled their beer or something, they, they had to drink the mezcal. So when Aaron Paul in this sushi restaurant, three years after Breaking Bad, says, hey, we should start a mezcal company. I thought, hey, you're out of your mind. But then he took me to a mezcal bar in New York City and we sat down and we tasted unbelievable uh, spirits. I mean, it, some were sweet, some were stout, some were smoky. Some I mean, it, it was just amazing in, in all different kinds. So I said, okay, let's go down to Oaxaca and let's find it. But if we don't find the one spirit that we both truly love, let's not do it. Let's just say we had a vacation and, and be, we're not about to slap our names onto something that we don't really believe in. So we found it. We did find it. Dos hombres. Well, this is this is a good one. Um, talk about because a lot of people get it mixed up with tequila, and there's there there's a small similarities, but there's also a big difference. Just kind of educate folks on that. Well, tequila is a mezcal, but mezcals are not necessarily tequila. So, any spirit that's made out of an agave plant, of which <clears throat> there are about a, I think about one hundred and forty five or one hundred and fifty different. Uh, agave plants in the world, mostly in Mexico. Anytime you make a spirit out of that, it's it's a mezcal. About a hundred years ago, the the mescaleros in the state of Jalisco were making their mezcal only out of the blue agave plant. You know, the one with the grayish blue leaves, big, mm -hmm. real wide, beautiful. Yeah. Well, that thing grows like a weed and grows huge, much, much, much bigger, bigger than any other agave plant. So their yield is much greater. So they were able to undercut their competition. And the rest of the mescaleros in the country got upset. So the government steps in and says, okay, uh, to you folks in Jalisco, you can continue making your mezcal, but you have to make it only out of the blue agave plant. And you need to call it something else. The largest city in Jalisco, Mexico is Tequila. So that's where they got the name. And to this day, Tequila is only made out of the blue agave plant. Now, some of them are still artisanal and make it the old-fashioned way, but I must admit, most don't. Most steam their agaves and put their and ferment it in silos, and it happens in a few hours, as opposed to our our mezcal, which takes ten days to ferment, four days to smoke. Wow. It just takes a long, long time, and we have absolutely no modern technology in the processing of our mezcal. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to say uh, artisanal on the label. It's regulated. Do you use any volcanic rocks? Yeah, we do. We use volcanic rocks and and um, river rock to in order to hold the heat. Um, when we, we place that on top of the fire in an earthen pit, and then on top of the rocks and the lava, we place the chunks of agave. We cover it in soil and banana leaves. 
and leave it for four days. Uh, it's, it's just like a smoker, like you would, would barbecue smoker. And after four days, we take it off. Um, we put it in a, a, a pit, a rock pit called a Tahona. And that's where the, where the, we have, our brand has uh, donkeys on it. And that's where the donkeys come in because the donkeys actually play an important part. They crush the newly smoked agave into a pulp. And it has to be into a fine pulp before it goes into the oak barrels for fermentation. It's amazing. Wow. That 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 is. You should call it the donkey stomp. <laughs> yeah. Is it too late to change the name? <laughs> I got a I got a hot one. <laughs> All right. More with Brian Cranston, but first, let's tell you about Medsonics. If you're in Vegas, you're in pain. Go to Medsonics. The Soundwave technology relieves pain. It's non-invasive. You sit for 25 minutes and relax. The website is medsonics.com, spelled M-E-D-S-O-N-I-X. Al is the owner inventor. Tell him Daily Fish sent you. All right. Um, so, Brian, at the top, I mentioned about you being a murder suspect. You wrote that in your autobiography, a great autobiography, by the way. Tell us real briefly about how you were a murder suspect. It was 1977. I was riding my motorcycle with my my brother and I had motorcycles and we were just traveling the country for a couple of years trying to figure our lives out. And we had just finished working in a, in a restaurant called the Hawaiian Inn in Daytona Beach, Florida. And there was a cook there named Peter Wong. And Peter Wong was a horrible person. He hated everyone. No matter how much you tried to be nice to him, he just hated you. He just did. So when we were having our waiters meetings before each shift, we would just goof around and say, how would you kill Peter Wong? Well, I'd do this. I'd chop him up and put him in his in his Mugu guy pan. And I would do There was all kinds of things. How would we do it? How would you kill him? Well, it so happens that the season comes to an end. My brother and I hop on our motorcycles and we take off. Not a day or two after that happens, Peter Wong goes missing. We didn't even know it. Um, the, from what our friends told us, uh, the investigating detectives come into the Hawaiian Inn and gather everybody there and say, is there anyone who ever talked about killing Peter Wong? And we're like, uh, yeah, <laughs> is there anyone who, who was involved in this conversation who's no longer here? And I said, the Cranston brothers, they're, what, what are they? They're on their motorcycles. They're going... And why, why, why? Peter Wong was found bludgeoned to death in the trunk of his car. And then all of a sudden it got really serious. Uh, and so apparently they put out an APB for us, my brother and I, who were then probably in the Carolinas. And uh, they were trying to find us for questioning. Um, and they were looking for us, uh, and we're told. And then about uh, three or four days after that, they called it off because they figured out they found DNA evidence and, and uh, fingerprints and they figured out what had happened to to Mr. Peter Wong. Rest in peace, Peter. Here's a here's a here's a toast. Here's to, here's to Peter and also things up. <laughs> Brian, we're big baseball guys here on Daily Fish and I'm a Los Angelino like you are. So I go way back with the Dodgers, and John actually picked the Dodgers to go to the World Series and play the Yankees. I picked the Padres, and you know I, I love Tatis, I love Machado, I like the sexiness of that team. Do you think the Dodgers can make a nice little run in the second half? Do you, do you think their bullpen can, can hold up? And what's your thoughts on that? You know, Fish, what it all comes down to is what it always comes down to in any sport: health. Who's going to stay healthy? Um, if everybody's relatively healthy, then it's who's, who gets hot. Um, and that's, that's what you want to peak at near the end. So you go into the playoffs very hot, but I don't know. The Dodgers have had a tremendous difficulty this year with, with keeping healthy, um, that we have so many guys on the IL. I can't even tell you. Um, it just keeps happening over and over and over again. We, we haven't been completely healthy since the first week. So, um, I hope as a, as a long time, you know, Dodger fan, um, it was, it you know, it was so interesting after, after 32 years, the last time we won it in 88 and last year, uh, 
no Dodger fan really to speak of was able to go and watch their their team play and win the World Series. It was so frustrating to have a semi-empty stadium while while we uh, we took home the championship. But still, I'll take it. I'll take it. It was a, it was a great year, although a weird one. And now we're back. Um, but I, I am concerned about all these injuries all throughout the league. And not just that, but you look at the NBA, too, uh, had uh, scores of injuries. Um, and may, and they're, they're attributing it to, to the, the quickened offseason, right? They didn't have a chance to, to rehabilitate. Yeah. Now they're seeing it in a lot of sports, that's for sure. Um, you think the Dodgers need to uh, pull off some big trades uh, before the 30th? Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have to um, in order to compete against the the two other powerful teams in the in the National League, the Giants and the Padres. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna need a starting pitcher, I think. Um, so I think they're gonna go out and and get that or two. Um, I think they're okay with their position players, uh, but maybe an arm in the bullpen as well. But you know what? The Giants and the Padres are not going to be silent during this time either. They're they're they can taste they can taste the blood in the water and they're ready to strike. Right. Now I go back. I'm, I'm we're historians for baseball and I go back to John. I talk about infields and then I'm going to give you an infield that when you and I were watching the Dodgers in the '70s, Brian, Steve Garvey, Davey Loves, Bill Russell, and Ron Say. And I think that we have to do a toast to those guys because they never get any props anymore. And I, I, to the Dodgers of the 70s, I mean, and Valenzuela comes around, and it was really a great time for baseball. And, and you know, the greatest thing I ever saw in, base, in, in sports, Brian, was Reggie Jackson. I know it was against us. He had three consecutive home runs off three consecutive pitches in, in the 1977 World Series. I know it was against us, but I miss the 70s, and I miss that, 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 that baseball era. It was a lot different, wasn't it? I mean, you look at uh, what's happening around baseball now. The home runs are all up. The, all the batting percentages are all down. They're talking about, wow, well, he's a great hitter. He's hitting 270. Yeah. And it's like, wow, what's what's happening here? So everybody's – I think the kids who are coming up through the minor leagues are all looking to hit that home run ball. They all have an upward swing. So they're striking out more. They're hitting more home runs. But the percentages and the and – the, the balls in play are just way down. Uh, Brian, talk about moonshot productions, because that has a lot to do with some great old Dodger history and also the, the start of your acting career. Well, moon, Moonshot Entertainment is my production company. Um, we produce um, television and, and films. We've been doing a great thing. Uh, we had a, a few shows on Amazon, Sneaky Pete, uh, Philip K. Dick, uh, and uh, a dangerous book for boys uh, were all on Amazon. We produced the HBO series all the way, and we're also doing Your Honor for Showtime. And we have a um, we have a feature film uh, in development now, um, which is called Betrayal, and that'll come out. It's a sequel to a film I did about six years ago called um, The Infiltrator. And um, so it's that's that's going to be a lot of fun. But it came about because they said, well, what, what do you want to name your your thing? When I was five years old, uh, I went to to see the Dodgers play for the first time. And that was at the at the uh, L.A. Memorial Coliseum, not in Dodger Stadium. Dodger Stadium opened in 1962. So in 1961, uh, my father took my brother and I to see the Dodgers play in the Coliseum, which was not meant for football. In left field, they had what would be, uh, you know, a, a very close relative to the Green Monster in Boston, which was a short porch. So what they did is they erected a net that went up 44 feet and tied it off. So you could hit a home run. But most of the time, you're hitting that net, and it's falling down, and the ball is live. Um, although along came a guy who the Dodgers picked up in 1958. Yes, he, they picked him up in 58, uh, a year after they arrived here in Los Angeles. His name was Wally Moon. They picked him up uh, in a trade with St. Louis. And Wally was an outfield, a left-handed batter. Now, 
the right field and center field was wide open. It was enormous. So you hit it anywhere in there, and you've got yourself a base hit somewhere, a double. So a lot of the pitchers would tend to pitch away from a left-handed batter at the Coliseum, and that meant you're hitting into that net. Um, so Wally was uh, he he developed a style of chipping like a golf chip, and he would uppercut. He would go underneath it and uppercut it, and he would hit these little shots up and over the nettings, which was very short. It was a short course. It was like 200 and some odd feet, not, not far at all. So he'd hit it up and over, and, um, and, they, and they started calling them moonshots because he, there was an issue. There was a problem. He had to figure it out. And so he figured out how he can uh, jump over that hurdle and, and still succeed, and he hit those moonshots for home runs at the LA Coliseum. And so I thought that's a great name for my, my company moonshot entertainment, because it, it kind of has the same philosophy. We take something that, you know, try to figure out problems, try to, try to be in, in, inventive and, and succeed somehow, some way. Did you grow up a Rams fan? Like I did. I mean, I, I switched over. You can see the background. I switched over to the Raiders when, Georgia Frontier stopped sleeping with all the Rams quarterbacks and moved to Anaheim. <laughs> and Al Davis moved to – oh, come on. Vince Ferragamo, Burt Jones. Brian, 1985, <laughs> the Rams went 12-4. Can you name the quarterback of that team? In 1985? Yeah, they won. They went to the NFC Championship and lost to the Bears. Or Roman Gabriel? The guy's name was Dieter Brock. Dieter Brock. Dieter Brock. He was okay. a model out of Canada. But there was rumors that Georgia was sleeping with all these guys. That's a rumor. The Raiders come in. But did you grow up a Rams fan like I did? My, you talked about your dad taking you to a Dodger game. My first game was 68, Roman Gabriel to Jack Snow. You remember those days? Oh, yeah. Those were great. With the fearsome foursome, uh, those guys on the defensive line, um, amazing, amazing athletes. And, um, you know, I went to the Super Bowl once, I believe, in 1979 against the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm not mistaken. And uh, I'm the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, Have another mezcal. Yeah, there's another mezcal. In fact, the Pirates went to the World Series in 79 as well against the Orioles. That's right. Um, anyway. We, um, we are family. Willie we Sargent. are family. That's right. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I was. And then just the same thing. Uh, we, you know, you're, you're a diehard fan. And then she first moved the team down to Anaheim where the Angels play. And that was a little bit of a slap in the face. And then she moved them to St. Louis. Uh, and then they come back from St. Louis a few years ago, and they expect the fans to just, you know, it's like your girlfriend asking you back. And you went, wait a minute, you, you, you've been sleeping around with other cities, and now you want me back? How dare you? Um, okay, I'll take you back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of flirting with the idea uh, of that, but there was, you know, for Rams fans, there was some bad news that actually came out today. Cam Akers, their, their running back, yeah. blew out his Achilles, and he's gone for the season. Um, so they're going to have to pick up some um, running back that's available. And actually, you know, there are a few that are out there that they can pick up. So what's your prognosis for the season? I know it's still really early, but what are you thinking? You know, um, I, I think – I think that Russell Wilson up there in Seattle is still a premier quarterback, and I think he's a tough one to beat. Um, but I'm really interested to see what Stafford can do in leading the Rams. I, too, soured on our old quarterback. Uh, I just – there were some times that I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe he's in there. And other times he was quite good. And and so – but it was that inconsistency was – was enough to to let him go, and and they paid a dear price for that. Um, but um, I think Stafford is going to be a great improvement, and uh, if we get you know running back and we have a good defense, so it's a, there's an opportunity. All right, we are talking to award-winning actor director Brian Cranston, along with his Breaking Bad co-star Aaron Paul. They have Dos Hombres Mezcal. To get a bottle, go to dosombres.com. You can also find it. Find out if your local liquor store has it as well. Brian also wrote an autobiography called A Life in Part. 
and that is available on Amazon as well. Fish, I know you want to talk to him about something. You got to hit him with well, this. This franchise named Bob Odenkirk, I remember he was a writer, and then he's on your show, and he's got Better Call Saul. But I just saw a movie, Brian, called Nobody, where he plays a character named Hutch Mansell. And I swear to God, this guy is such a tough guy that John Wick wouldn't want to fight him in an alley. It's that much. But what I, what I want to ask you about this is he said he trained about two years to play this role. What's the most physically challenging role that you ever had to take on? Uh, most physically challenging to date. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Um, Being on our show? I think that's <laughs> it. It was probably, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I haven't, I see, I mean, there's been so many, I have to be reminded what I've done. I'm of that age now where I go, wait a minute, what have I done so far? Um, I mean, there were so many uh, on Malcolm in the Middle. Every week seemed to present itself with a, another challenge. Um, I don't know that it was physically challenging, but it 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 needed a, a complete idiot to be able to play that role, uh, to be able to say yes to whatever they came up with, and and I was that idiot. Damn it. <laughs> Since we, hey, we talked about Better Call Saul. I know they're scheduled for, for next year. I think it's their final season. Uh, any word on whether Walter White might appear? Not, not for me. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the show. And I told uh, Vince Gilligan, who created Breaking Bad and co-created Better Call Saul with Peter Gould, I said, look, guys, I, I would do it anything. I, if you called me, I would absolutely come in and, and do something. Um, and I leave it up to you. Um, but if not, that's okay because I'm still a fan of the show and I'm I'm going to enjoy it regardless. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. But yep. it's their last year. Yeah, right. You know, for all the years you were on Breaking Bad, I've always wanted to ask, who was the practical joker on the set? Who was the prankster that would do things in between takes when you're in your trailers? And who was the person that was so into their method acting or Stanislavski that they, they, that they weren't really into the jokes? Who, who, I, I pretty much know this answer, but who was the one that just took the whole thing and blew it up and made fun of everything? You don't know the answer. <laughs> okay, so the, the practical joker was me. Uh, it, it was, you know, you can actually use it to the advantage of the entire production at times. On those days when you have worked 14, 15 hours and everybody's exhausted, sometimes a surprising practical joke will give everybody a shot of, of adrenaline that that gets you through the last hour. And so it's, it's fun. To, I, I used to prank uh Aaron Paul all the time. There was one episode <laughs> where, where um, yeah, I don't know if you remember, where he has to kill uh, this guy named Gail, who is also a, a, a drug cooker, you know, a really sweet guy, though. He's, a, he's kind of an innocent, and we, but he has to die. And I tell him that he's got to do it because I can't leave. So he's got to go over there and point the gun at at Gale and shoot him. And so there's this very dramatic scene where I go to his apartment and I say, it's time, you, you've got to do this. He goes, I just, I go, you have to. And I hand him a brown paper bag and then he puts his hand in and takes out a gun. And then we realize what he has to do. And so when we're filming, I said, you have to do this, you have to. So he goes, okay, he puts his hand in and he feels something <laughs> and he pulls out a dildo. <laughs> I, I say, you know <laughs> you know what you I have, have that problem. <laughs> oh, that's great. And who put it there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's uh, because the, the property, I, I get all of my prop guys I get to get me the things and, you know, squirt things that squirt, things that jump out at you and stuff like that. I, I do all that. 
Um, uh, and, and they don't want to get in trouble. So I said, but trust me, you are not going to, this is me doing it. I'm doing it. I, I put your, you're not going to get fired. It's going to be okay. So what were you doing with a dildo? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. <laughs> something wrong with it. I think the audio has gone off fish. Something wrong with the audio here. <laughs> what, what one always does with a dildo works out the kinks in your neck. You know, it's just <laughs> I sense a new book coming. Yes. <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking, John and I are talking about past things that you've done, the Malcolm in the Middle. But I said, you know what? I, I love Cranston in two movies. And you really didn't do anything in him. It was that thing you do where you play Gus Grissom uh, in that sort of like takeoff on the Hollywood Palace. And then, of course, one of my favorite films of all time, and you obviously worked with Hanks on two projects, and that's Saving Private Ryan and that really touching scene. You're the, the one-armed officer, and the, the general's telling you guys you got to go out and get Ryan. And um, talk about, you know, Tom Hanks is a big Raider fan. I'm a huge Raider fan. So being with you, you're a Dodger fan, and Hanks a Raider fan. Talk about working with him and the, and the kind of talent that he is, that he can write that thing you do, which I thought was a brilliant film. And, of course, Saving Private Ryan – you were part of that. So that, that, talk about some of those projects you worked with him. Uh, Tom is a big Raiders fan. In fact, every time uh, on what's always on the bottom of his email is uh, a quote from Kenny Stabler, who says, oh. throw deep, baby. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's a huge, huge Raiders fan. He's from the Oakland area, and uh, so he's a homer. Um I don't know what he's how he feels about Las Vegas, but um, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, anyway, um, you know, Tom is uh, he's a great guy. He is when people say, you know, Tom and and I say, yeah. And he said, what's he like? And I said, he is like he's exactly like you hoped he would be like, you know, when you think of Tom Hanks and you, you think of. The, the movies he's done and the huge stardom and the and the Oscar wins and the talent that is just abundant. Um, but he's a he's a, a good man. He's a family guy. And I've worked with him um, three or four times, four times now. Uh, I also did. I played Julia Roberts' husband in uh, a movie called Larry Crown that he wrote and directed, and then I was also Buzz Aldrin in the miniseries From the Earth to the Moon for HBO that he produced, um, and then the two others that you mentioned. So it's like, oh, man, it's, he's uh, he's been I've been in his orbit for a while, and I'm grateful. I've learned a lot from him. He is. Um, uh, you know, kind of a silent mentor of mine that I watch him on the set and I see his comportment and how he treats other people with respect and has fun. And I, and I remember thinking, boy, if I ever get to be that stage where I'm the number one on the call sheet, where I'm the lead in a show or a movie, uh, that's the way to behave, have fun, do your work, be respectful of others and then go home. And that's what I do. Wow. And you've definitely done that. Um, we, we got about you know, maybe about two or three minutes left here, Brian. You got a lot of projects coming your way. You mentioned them. What is the future of film and TV? I keep reading how movies are going away, going the way of Blockbuster. Uh, will we only have streaming series that, that dominate, do you think, in the future? Well, what's great about uh, the, the different formats and the different genres are... Um, that every story should dictate the medium. So if something could be done in three minutes, it should be a sketch on Saturday Night Live. It doesn't necessarily mean it should be a movie, uh, which has been some mistakes in the past. Um, I look at Breaking Bad and I say, well, that would make a terrible movie because you'd have to truncate the story completely. You'd have to skip over so much development to get to a man who goes from good to bad quickly. And uh, it, you would just be shortchanged about a lot of character development um, and intrigue. And the slow burn of Breaking Bad was, was the draw 
the audience was like leaning in and oh my god once a week and they'd have to watch again they can't wait and it's like oh god and and they agonized over it in a good way um but if you can tell your story in an hour and a half to two two hours that should be a movie so the story whatever the story is it should dictate what that media where it should fall um I, I hope it doesn't, you know, become a thing where in order to get more episodes, let's take a story that could be told in a movie and let's make it 10 episodes and really drag it out to something. And it's like, nah, it doesn't feel quite right. Um, so it's all up to the, the people who are creating it. I mean, I, I look at material all the time and I, I have to determine whether or not it's something I want to do based on, is it in the right medium? Is it a story that is compelling, important? Is the is the character stimulating? Do I feel like I could do something with it? Um, do I think about it? So that's my criteria for, for taking on a role is one, after I read it, I put it aside. And then I, and then if it comes to me naturally, if I start daydreaming about that, it's a good sign. It's, it's staying with me. If I don't, it's like, eh, I guess it's not something that that you think about. It's kind of like having a bad meal or a good meal. Like, yeah, I forget that one. But man, do you remember what that last night when we, oh my God, it was so good. So Brian, kind of before like finding you, a dildo in your pocket. Go ahead. So no, you like finding a dildo in your pocket. I mean. Say <laughs> I it's no kind of like it. finding a dildo in your pocket. No, finding a dildo. Is a, <laughs> what is, isn't that what your grandpa used to say, Fish? Say, no, my grandpa, my grandpa Izzy would say, let me tell you something about Sandy Koufax and that Yiddish accent. There's not a better <laughs> player than Sandy Koufax team. I'll tell you about, they named a sandwich after McCoast at, at Cantor's Delicatessen on Fairfax. They didn't name one after Claude Osteen, goddammit. That's what he's been. All right. We've been talking to award-winning actor, director, Brian Cranston, along with his Breaking Bad co-star, Aaron Paul. They have Dos Ombres Mezcal. To get a bottle, go to dosombres.com, or you can see if it's going to be in your local store. Uh, Brian also wrote an autobiography called A Life in Parts that is available on Amazon. Brian, my friend, thank you so much for coming on Daily Fish. We loved having you. It's great catching up. Appreciate it, John. Good to see you again. It's been a long time. It's been too long. We'll do it soon. Don't worry about it. And I'm glad I tell Fish all the time about you. So he's been dying to see you. Thanks, buddy. And good to see you, Fish. Take care, guys. Nice to meet you. Bye, Brian. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you. And coming up, Bye-bye. Fish and I are going to wrap up things here with... Uh, uh, with what we call, you know, a need to hook and fillet for next week's show. But first, need a good golf getaway? The Myrtle Beach Golf Trail has dozens of courses along the Carolina coast. Set up an entire trip for yourself, your family, a bunch of friends. The site is MyrtleBeachGolfTrail.com. All right, before we go, uh, Fish, no show next week. No show. Now. We're on hiatus next week. Uh, we got Ginger Snaps going to be on vacation. I got to do a little uh, soiree into L.A. I might have some video for us, but then we're, we're going to go full steam ahead for the, for until the end of the year. So um, real quick, Brian, Brian texted on the, on the private chat. We were talking about uh, the athletes and not being able to bang each other at the Olympics. He wrote, he wrote this is a quote from Brian Cranston. The team banging relay is my favorite event. <laughs> and, and I apologize to Ginger Snaps for cutting her off. That was, uh, I, I, that was just a excitement to get to Cranston. So, we're going to get some great video from her. And I'll tell you what, John, that was fantastic. You you led that, and that was just wonderful. And what a great guy. He is a great guy. Is Brian's great. always been a ton of fun, and uh, he's always been a good friend. I, in fact, one of the things that I always I tell people, and I know we're, we're down to a minute, but he actually was the person who said to me, he says, don't go into acting. I was taking acting classes. He goes, do what you really love. Unless you wake up in the, uh, in the morning and you that's what you want to do in – if it's not that way, don't do it. And he was right. And I needed to go more towards the hosting and uh, being the journalist and the writer. So he was actually very, what he talks about Hanks, he was actually very helpful to me as well. So um, 
So no show next week. Um, we're going to get ready for the NFL preseason college football. We're going to look at August, what the baseball teams are doing. Then the FedEx Cup is looming in golf as well. So we got some big stuff. So we'll take a week off next week. But uh, Fish, we're going to be back with more. That's for sure. Now, remember, everybody, Daily Fish is live from Vegas and Myrtle Beach. Catch us on Facebook at daily.fish.5, DMB television, DBNA television on Roku, Amazon, and soon Apple TV, and on the DBA television network as well, their website. Also on YouTube, write to us at dailyfish1 at gmail.com as well. Fish, another great week. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, buddy.